Hey guys, and welcome to the 5-1 Volleyball Podcast, the best place to keep up with the stats, storylines, games, tournaments, and everything else going on in the world of professional volleyball. There's a lot going on in the volleyball world right now. Very busy. Nations League regular season just finished. All five rounds complete. We have our six teams that are going to Chicago for the finals. We have the Beach World Championships happening in Hamburg. That's been really fun to watch. Canada won the FIVB Challenger Cup on the women's side to qualify for next year's Nations League. And the Men's Challenger Cup just started today with Belarus defeating Egypt in five sets and also Slovenia just taking it to Chile and beating them in three sets. But the bulk of this podcast will be recapping the Nations League five rounds done in the books. It was a fun tournament overall, but some of the issues that I predicted would rise up definitely were a problem during the tournament. Mainly the fact that so many good players either skipped significant parts of the tournament or just didn't participate altogether. As we know, there is a very intense international season going on the rest of the summer. The main event being the Olympic qualifiers, which are basically a month away at this point. So getting pretty close to that exciting tournament. So during Nations League, a lot of players and teams were, you know, training independently rather than participating in the Nations League, meaning guys like Zaitsev, Juan Terena, Maxi Mikhailov, Matt Anderson, Irvin Enkipet, all these guys missing either the entire tournament or a very big part of it. And I don't blame them at all, and a few of those guys I'm, were very likely to see in the final round in Chicago. But still, it's tough to lose so many good players just because of tournament formatting issues. On the bright side, though, we got to see tons of young players, guys who didn't really have opportunities before to break out of their shells and prove that they can be contributors in their respective national team programs. Guys like Bozidar Vucicevic and Anton Brem really proved, I think, that they're high-level players and may have not gotten that opportunity had there been better players like Marcus Bohm and Alexander Tenesevich playing ahead of them in this tournament. So for the recap, I'm going to go over the games that took place on the fifth weekend. I'm going to go over an all-VNL team, just the best players from each position that I thought played really well during the preliminary round. And also I'm going to do kind of a send-off for each of the teams that missed the final six give them a takeaway, something they can learn from this tournament, even though they didn't make the final six. But first, there are a couple pieces of news to go over. One is affecting Poland. Apparently, Bartosz Kurek. This back injury is a little more serious than we anticipated, and he will be missing at least the Olympic qualifiers, but quite possibly also the Eurovolley championships taking place in September. So back issues, as we know, can be pretty finicky, TJ Sanders had a chronic back issue sideline him last year, last summer for the World Championship. Still barely played in VNL, so you never know with the back. Sometimes recovery can just take a lot longer than anticipated. I mean, this is a pretty big blow for Poland. Bartosz Kurek, the 2018 World Championships MVP. But as I've said before on the podcast, I don't think it's the season ruiner that some people might think it is. I mean, Bartosz Kurek was incredible at the end of that world championships but for most of it he wasn't exactly a superstar player had a very good season in Oniko Versava before he went down with the injury but he also had a rough couple of years before that where he was dealing with nagging injuries in Turkey didn't look particularly motivated 
So Bartosz Kurek was definitely the best opposite they could put out on the floor, but they also have guys like Machi Muzai, who are, in my opinion made a huge step this year and, and I think would be their best option. They also have David Kornarski, who seems to be Vitil Hainan's favorite, even though I don't think he really should be. Also, Lucas Kazmarek, probably the safest option out of those three. You know what you're going to get out of the opposite that played in Zaksak, Kajrish, and Kajle last season. And there's also been rumors that even Wilfredo Leon could play opposite, which considering his prowess in attacking and the fact that he's not exactly the best passer in volleyball, makes a lot of sense. I do think he is a better attacker from position four than position two, though. So one thing that's also been suggested is that Alex Schlifka plays as a receiving opposite because he is a really good attacker from the right side, as we saw a lot during the Nations League, and then have Wilfredo Leon Hyde in a passing rotation, but still hit from position four as much as possible. And Leon's so good from hitting from the left side of the court that we even saw him hit A-balls from position five in Sir Safety Perugia this year in the Italian Super League. So I think the Schlifka as a receiving opposite and then Wilfredo Leon as a non-receiving power is definitely a possibility. And with the addition of Leon, even without Kirak, I still think Poland are definitely favorites to come out of their group against France and also probably favorites at Eurovolley still. Although without Kirak, it does make it a bit tighter. The other big piece of news we got kind of in the last couple days has been Simone Giannelli, the young superstar Italian setter, is re-signing with Trentino until 2023, so for four years. Just like Ivan Zaitsev got a long contract, don't see that very often in volleyball. Good indicator of the sport's health right now that players are getting locked in for this long. Apparently Giannelli got a huge offer from Lube Civitanova, rumored to be at one and a half million euros, which is about 1.7 million dollars USD. Obviously, a pretty big contract for volleyball, especially for potentially a longer term deal. I'm sure the money he got from Trentino was also pretty massive, though. Having a guy like Gianelli, one of the best setters in the world, an Italian, so he doesn't count against the foreign player limit, whereas the other high level setters in the league, Bruno, Michael Christensen, and Luciano De Ceco are all foreigners. Gianelli's been with Trentino for a long time, grew up with the youth team, so good for him to show loyalty to his club, although I'm sure they made him a pretty good offer. I'm sure he's not going to be suffering or anything, and this will allow Trentino to plan kind of longer term, maybe bring in guys on longer contracts to get better deals, sign some younger players knowing that they'll grow with Gianelli and the rest of the team. So great move all around from both parties, and personally, I'm just excited that we're getting more money into volleyball. All right, so that's the big news for today. Let's get into recapping round five of the Volleyball Nations League. Probably won't go quite in depth as I did with some of the other rounds, but give a quick overview of what went down over the weekend. We didn't have any exciting last minute competitions for spots in the final six. Canada did beat Italy on Friday, which was pretty exciting. But at the same time, Poland narrowly won a five-setter against Japan, so that kind of put a damper on anything going down to the wire. Poland qualifying for final six, along with the ones we already kind of knew in Brazil, Iran, Russia, France, and the Americans. Well-deserved final six, in my opinion. I would say definitely the best six teams of the tournament. 
I'm looking forward to the rest of these teams other than Brazil and Iran using their best lineups, playing some really good volleyball. I'm going to Chicago in person to cover the event, so really looking forward to it. But I will save a longer, more in-depth preview for later on this week, really break down the two different pools of the finals, which are USA, Russia, and France in Pool A, and then Brazil, Iran, and Poland in Pool B. If you guys want to guess which one I think is more difficult, go and leave a comment on Podbean or Instagram or wherever you can reach me. So other than qualifying for the final six, the other big competition over the weekend was between Australia and Portugal, the two bottom-ranked challenger teams. It came right down to Saturday, but eventually Australia got that important win against China, 3-1. to one. Australia now two years in a row that they have managed to avoid being relegated out of the Nations League. So good for them, Mark Lebedou, Lincoln Williams, the rest of them will have another year to entertain crowds all around the world with their volleyball skills and also their dancing skills. Other highlights from the weekend include a USA team missing all of their Olympians pretty much, managing to get wins over Iran and over Serbia over the weekend. Two guys really impressed me from that group. Mike Ma'a, I think, is definitely has to be the next setter in line after Christensen. Sorry to Josh Tuaniga and Joe Worsley. Was blocking really well, serving really well. Has great hops and athleticism for the setter position. And I've, I found throughout the tournament, he's getting to know his teammates a little better. Slowly getting better with his targeting on his sets. One guy who he had great chemistry with. Over the weekend was Ben Patch, who I have doubted a bit in the past. Had a really rough first club season in Vibo Valencia. Looked decent last summer with the national team. Then went back to struggling a bit in Berlin, but came on strong near the end and now has looked really good, in my opinion, with the U.S. national team in Nations League. He had one hit this weekend where he's hitting 3.5 meters, which is like 11 feet 5 inches, which is what a lot of guys touch on their maximum spike reach let alone a hit during a game he made Farhad Gamey look pretty silly just hitting right over top of him if he can get the ball in that little window work on his timing and hit at the top of his jump more times than not he is almost unstoppable as an opposite hitter of course that's very hard to do to get all those things working together you need to have a really good chemistry with your setter really good communication with your setter have your timing pretty much impeccable but if he can do that over the next couple of years, it won't matter that he can't serve and can't play defense because he'll be so unstoppable attacking that he'll just be worth having out on the court. We also saw a bit of George Human, the middle blocker slash opposite that plays for the Princeton Tigers in the NCAA. This guy is huge at a legit 6'11". Definitely a little bit slow, but when you're that tall, you don't really need to be that fast. Him, Jeff Jendrick... Mitch Stahl, who was impressive early on in the tournament before getting injured, and Patrick Gassman of Hawaii, I think, are a pretty solid crop of the middles for the Team USA. Nobody in that group except for Jendrick, maybe, who has star potential, but to have, you know, four big middles like that who are fast enough to actually stay on the court versus high-level offenses, that's a pretty nice thing to have that a lot of countries would be jealous of and that the USA hasn't always necessarily had. Argentina sneaks into 7th place with wins over China and Australia over the weekend, Canada beating Italy, but then getting stomped by Brazil and by France. Brazil manages to go 14-1 and 
during the Nations League, only dropping that one game to the Serbian youth squad of all teams. You know, they beat Poland, they beat France, they beat Russia, but no, the Serbians, the Serbian B team is the one you lose to. Anyway, I guess that's a record in our brief two-year history of the Volleyball Nations League tournament. Brazil definitely had an advantage because they pretty much use their main starters in almost every game. Iran did a similar thing and came in second in the tournament. But, you know, still kudos to them. It's hard to do that much traveling and still beat pretty much every team you come across. I don't think it's worth going into too much more detail about the games from this weekend. I think like last year, the last round, unless there's some really big races going on to determine the final six, it's not really the most exciting round. A lot of teams this weekend sending junior players and B team players, so lots of people getting rest and preparing for the Olympic qualifiers and for Chicago. So I thought it'd be a fun exercise to go over a team of the best players in the first five rounds of Nations League. This will be a little bit skewed toward guys who played more games just because, you know, traveling all five weeks or even four weeks of Nations League, it's a pretty big commitment. So give a nod to the guys who put up with it for the longest. So this is going to be all-star team style with setter, two outside hitters, two middle blockers, opposite and libero. The setter position definitely came down to two guys, Simone Gianelli, who we talked about earlier in the podcast, big fat contract with Trentino, and also Maruf, who I'm sure all you guys know, the Iranian setter with a sick flow, who had a pretty rough season in Siena, you know, definitely a main factor of why they got relegated, but back with his Iranian teammates is absolutely killing it, led them to second place in the preliminary round with a 12-3 and record, really has just amazing chemistry with his hitters like Amir Ghaffour, Miladi Badapur, Puria Fayazi, Sead Musavi, just knows where exactly where to find all those guys on the court, but I did have to give the nod to Simone Gianelli, just because he was doing similar things to Maruf, really making all his hitters look good, except he was doing it with, you know, a collection of young Italian players who aren't exactly the most hyped prospects in the world. Guys like Julio Panali, guys like Roberto Russo, Oresto Cavuto, Daniel Lavia, all looked pretty good at times out there for Italy, who finished just outside the playoffs with an 8-7 record. Most of these young guys weren't even starting on their Superliga teams, but Gianelli pretty much dragged them to a record above Canada, Serbia, Japan, Bulgaria, some good teams in there. So well done to Gianelli, not to mention his blocking is absolutely elite, definitely the best blocking setter in the world. And while his serving definitely has its criticisms at times, I thought it was excellent during the VNL, really put pressure on passers, led to some clutch moments for Italy. So Gianelli, well done, best setter in the preliminary round. The outside hitters, one of the guys that really impressed me this tournament, I thought, has taken his game to another level. Yuki Ishikawa of Japan. He was one of the leading scorers of the tournament, despite only playing about two out of every three games. And he accomplished that by being pretty much Japan's entire offense, along with Yuji Nishida. And even though he was getting an extremely high usage rate, he was finishing a lot of those attacks really well. You cannot put a single block up on this guy. He's way too smart, way too strong of an arm swing. He's gonna find that seam. He knows exactly where he's hitting, and I don't know what they're feeding the players on the Japanese team, 
but some of their arm swings are just incredibly powerful, despite a lot of them having shorter arms being shorter than players from other teams, so they have less of a lever. Usually the taller players with the longer arms are the ones hitting the hardest. So I don't know if it's just ab strength, really good technique, way more reps than everyone else, but you know, other countries should be learning from this because as much as hitting smart is a big part of hitting, hitting hard is, is just as important at times to prevent the opposing team from making any digs. The other guy who really impressed me, and I've talked about him before on the podcast, Ricardo Lucarelli coming back to the Brazilian national team after that brutal Achilles tendon injury that tends to take a lot of players just completely out of their sport to where they never get to the same level of athleticism again. But it clearly hasn't affected Ricardo Lucarelli that badly because he's still jumping out of the gym. He's still passing dimes. He's still getting up, up to the antenna on his blocks. So incredibly impressive recovery process for him. He's a huge reason why Brazil has been able to do so well. I think he's perfect next to Yoandria Leal. Lucarelli is a great passer, so I think he covers for some of Liel's passing deficiencies. And I bet Brazil's really wishing they had this Lucarelli guy at the World Championships last year. Who knows what would have happened with Poland. For the middle blockers, there weren't too many guys who stood out in my opinion. More so, I think, than any other position. There were a lot of younger players and B-team guys filling in in the middle. But one guy who definitely did impress me was Sead Musavi of Iran. Probably was one of the better middle blockers in the world for the earlier part of this decade. However, in the last few years, I thought he had taken a bit of a step back, looked a bit slower, made a few more mistakes than he formerly did. But I thought in this Nations League, he looked about as good as I've seen him play was just all over the place getting blocks for Iran, really smartly reading the attackers. One thing I really like about him, he always tries to get up to block pipes, doesn't just give up even if there's only a 1 or 2% chance he actually gets up far enough to get the block. And like I mentioned, he has impeccable chemistry with his setter Maruf, just absolutely buries the ball, really likes to go to his right side, hitting kind of to between positions four and five pretty much an undiggable ball if he connects with it properly which is a sign of a middle who knows what he's doing the other middle blocker that impressed me was peter krismanovic of serbia normally a guy who's kind of buried beneath dragon stankovic marko podrashinin and sreko lizanac but this tournament i thought gave him a chance to take more of a leading role on the team definitely looked like a veteran leader among all of serbia's younger guys and I think those three years of playing in Russia have made him a pretty smart and pretty devastating blocker. Another guy who knows how to read the hitter's tells really well, rarely gives up easy balls in the middle or through the pipe attack. And I think a good testament to his really strong play, despite being the fourth middle in Serbia for so many years, is that he's signed to Piacenza, the newly promoted team, in the Italian Superliga for next season. The most impressive opposite to me was another Iranian, Amir Ghaffour, a guy who hasn't really been my favorite player ever in the past. I think really struggles sometimes when the block's set up, doesn't really have any creative shots, doesn't really have a switch up game. So he relies on just hitting the ball, lying as hard as he can a lot of the time. But when you put him on Iran, who is passing really well this tournament, pair him with Maruf, who knows exactly down to the centimeter where to put it for Ghaffour, and you run a really fast tempo ball for him to the C ball and to position two, 
then he becomes a really devastating opposite. I did not think that he could look this good in a volleyball offense, but he was one of the highest scorers of Nations League, did so efficiently, served pretty well. But just that really fast tempo, especially on the sea ball, attacks from Maruf to him, one of my favorite things to watch this entire tournament. Hopefully for Iran, they can keep it going into the final six. And the last position on this team, Lilibero. There were a few guys I thought about. Luke Perry, once again, had a fantastic tournament, covered for a lot of the passing deficiencies from a lot of those Australian outsides. Without Perry, I think they definitely would have been relegated. Grubenikov actually spent, I think, more time with the French team than any other starter. I think the dude just loves volleyball. Classic Grubenikov style, passed dimes, made unreal digs, and was just all around incredible. But the guy I'm going to give it to, Santiago Denani of Argentina, who I think was statistically the best passer of the entire tournament, had some unbelievable defensive plays in some of the games I watched. He has a really nice pancake. He knows exactly how far away he needs to be to get a successful pancake in. I'm sure he's definitely practiced it more so than almost any other libero. But just that really technical passing ability was a key reason for Argentina doing as well as they did. In my opinion, he should definitely be the starting libero for the Olympic qualifying tournament who would give them the best chances of beating Canada. But, you know, if they want to go with Gonzalez or someone else, I'm totally fine with that. Anyway, that's my team of the preliminary round. I don't know if any of those guys, except for probably Luca Relli, would make the dream team for the final six, which is why I think the FIVB should give the guys who played well in the regular rounds like a bit more credit, maybe do something similar to this where they kind of recognize the best players of these five rounds, but not a huge deal either way. That's what these podcasts are for. And to end this particular podcast... I will be going over one kind of takeaway for each team that was eliminated during Nations League. Maybe it's something they can work on. Maybe it's a positive trend that they can improve upon next year. Maybe it's an issue they had that they'll need to fix in order to improve their odds in next season's edition. Do it in reverse order of standings, starting with China. And as usual, they're probably the team that I have the least good things to say about. But with China right now, I just don't see what the path towards any sort of serious contention is in the next decade or so. Zhang Xuan's pretty nice, but a lot of these other guys I had higher expectations for based on their great play in the Chinese Domestic League. And I think that's a takeaway for them. I think some of their top guys, some of the senior guys on the Chinese team need to go and get some overseas experience. Guys like Zhang Zheja, guys like Zhang Xuan. We saw Li Bin Liu do it last year. Ji Dao Shui probably should play overseas as well. Obviously, playing at home is nice. They get a good paycheck. They get to play in their home country. But if this team wants to take it to the next level, if they're serious, then those guys need to sacrifice a bit and play in a more competitive league overseas with better coaching and better players. We have good examples from Japan and Iran of players like Yuki Ishikawa and Milada Badapur playing overseas in competitive leagues and getting a lot better as a result. So I think that's what China needs to start doing. Portugal, I feel bad for them qualifying for Nations League and not really kind of a tough road to qualification than getting knocked out in their very first year. However, I think this tournament showed that Portugal can play on the world stage. Sure, they did have some pretty bad losses, but they also played a lot of the mid-tier teams in the tournament very competitively. 
Alex Ferreira, probably a name that people are going to know outside of Europe after this tournament. But Portugal, mainly I think this tournament was really good training for Eurovolley in September. They played with their stronger lineup most of the tournament, and they got some really good reps against teams that are of a very high caliber. And I bet their kind of rivals like Czech Republic and Slovenia definitely wish they had this opportunity. Germany is another team that didn't do quite as well as I expected, finishing the tournament with only 3 wins and 12 losses. In fact, there are some rumors that Germany might end up being relegated to a challenger team next year. Again, not really sure if that's even allowed or how any of this works, but but I could see it after, after they're showing this time because they played quite poorly. Their young guys outside of Anton Brem did not look as impressive as I would have expected going into this tournament. They were dealing with some injuries to guys like Julian Zanger, Lucas Campa, Moritz Karlitzek, who I was really excited to watch, but still, you know, being coached by Andrea Gianni, a guy who I do have a lot of respect for, and going into the tournament with what I thought was one of the most talented young groups in all of volleyball, definitely did not hit the mark. And who knows, maybe this will be a good learning experience for them. Go back a little humbled, work really hard the rest of the summer. They don't have the Olympic qualification tournament to worry about, so they can just focus purely on Eurovolley. But the takeaway is Moritz Karlitzek, David Sossenheimer, Julian Zenger, Tobias Creek, Jan Zimmerman, Linus Weber. All those guys need to be in the gym a lot this summer. For Australia, the question is, who are they going to build around? Their three best players, Thomas Edgar, Paul Carroll, Aiden Zingel, none of them really play for the team anymore. Maybe we'll see Paul Carroll later on this summer. We did see him in the last round, Australia's home round in Nations League. But the issue is their only young player who really looks like they have kind of that star potential is Luke Perry, their libero. Nothing wrong with having an incredible libero, but that's not really something you can build a top contending team around. Sam Walker looks all right. Elliot Viles came in a couple times, looked decent. But really, I don't think either of those guys or any of their other young outside hitters are going to become superstar players. So is Australia just going to tread water for the next few years, get by on really good coaching, really good tactics from Mark Lebedew? Or what, what, what's the path here to improve for them? Because it doesn't really seem obvious to me at this point, especially if Thomas Edgar never returns to the team. For Bulgaria, I think the main takeaway from this tournament is that it's time to get rid of their mediocre older players. Not sure why it's taken so long to shake some of these guys. I know a lot of them have had good moments with the national team in the past, but there's also been a lot of friction between some of the older players and the younger players. And in my opinion, it's time to give those younger players a real shot because some of them looked very impressive this tournament. Martina Tanisov, I thought looked great in the last round playing at home. Georgi Seganov, this setter, I think is really coming into his own. I think Chernokozev is a little raw right now, but has a lot of potential. And those guys, along with the Penchev bros, I think make a pretty good team. Of course, you keep Yosefov and Sokolov around as long as possible. But other than those two, I think you can make a pretty clean break from anyone else not born in the 90s. And it looks like Coach Perandi has already taken this message to heart because there was news earlier today that five players from the Bulgarian national team have been cut, including Georgi Bratuev, Valentin Bratuev, Nikolai Uchikov, Vladislav Ivanov, and Nikolai Nikolov. So that's a lot of guys who have been on the national team for a number of years. 
whether they were cut because they just weren't performing. Maybe there might have been a conflict between them and the some of the younger players. Maybe they're upset that they were getting dethroned or not getting enough playing time. But either way, I think it actually works in Bulgaria's favor that they will no longer be competing with the national team, even for this summer's competitions. Serbia, I actually feel like I've talked a lot about during the podcast, mainly because they're one of the teams I saw in person in Ottawa. Young players were mildly impressive. I don't think the next generation is equivalent at all to the guys currently playing. But, you know, there were some impressive performances here or there. Mainly Bozidar Vucicevic, I thought, was probably the most impressive prospect out of all their younger guys. But I think the question for Serbia is what they're going to do with Jovovic. Because he was already kind of the weak link in the starting lineup that just going by pure talent probably should be the best team in the world. But hasn't really had the results to back that up. So is it time to bench Jovovic? Is it time to bring out one of the younger guys? You almost wish that Todorovic or Alexa Patak were a few years older, had a few more thousand reps under their belt. Because I think in the future, both of those guys might be better than Jovovic. But it's a really tough decision for Gerbic to make right now. But it definitely could be a decision that ends up making or breaking Serbia's chances at the Olympic qualification tournament and at Eurovolley in September. Japan's tournament went pretty well, I think, for them. The last few years, they've always been finishing around the middle of the pack, and they did that once again. Still very impressive to me that they're by far the shortest team, yet they still managed to finish this high pretty much every tournament. Just a very skilled, well-coached, good chemistry team. However, we saw this tournament, they pretty much relied on Yuji Nishida and Yuki Ishikawa for almost all their offense, went away from setting the middles a lot. So I guess the question for Japan is, is this a system that's sustainable for them? Can they continue to, you know, ride Ishikawa and Nishida for 50 points a game every single game in the World Cup and at the Olympics next year? Basically, the only way that Japan beats top teams is if Ishikawa or Nishida hit something like 25 for 31 or some ridiculous number like that. And I don't know if that's going to happen often enough to win a tournament, so... I think for Japan to take the next step, they're going to need to figure out a way to get points from somewhere else, whether it's feeding the middles more, getting a lot of back row action out of Masahiro Yanagita. They're going to need to figure out something. For Canada, another tournament just outside the final six. Unfortunate for them, but this is definitely starting to become a trend. And I guess the question for Canada is, what's the timing on their contention? because they have some incredible young players coming through the ranks. Shawan Vernon-Evans, Dana Gimma, Eric Lepke, Xander Ketzerzinski, some guys who I think can be starters on medal-level teams. However, they're a lot younger than some of our best players right now, like Gord Perrin, TJ Sanders, and Blair Band. So the issue is, by the time the young guys are good enough to compete and play at their peaks, then maybe some of those older guys will have started to decline and even retire from Team Canada. So where's the crossover between those two? Do you try and get both of them on the same contention level team? Do you just, you know, let the older guys play it play it out and just hope that the next generation has enough good players to fill in around that core? It's an interesting question. I think Canada's in a pretty good position going forward, but timing will be a problem for them. Italy kind of has a similar problem too. Their young players looked a lot better than I thought playing during the VNL as I mentioned earlier in the podcast. But unlike Canada, they will be pretty strong contenders for a medal at the 2020 Olympics, having placed second in 2016 with a largely similar team. 
assuming Juan Torina and Zaitsev are playing, which it does seem like they are. So the question for Italy is, which of the young guys that showed their stuff during Nations League can hang in 2020, can play on that team? I think it might be a bit of a reach for their wings to compete, especially with the likes of Zaitsev, Juan Torina, Oleg Antonov, and even Filippo Lanza, I think, is better than most of their other wings. But maybe Fabio Belasso, maybe he gets a spot on that team. Maybe Roberto Russo or Alberto Polo snags one of those starting spots. I think this VNL was a good showcase for those guys, but also it'll come down to how they perform in the rest of the summer and in the Italian Super League season in 2019-2020. Argentina, another team that I think overall had a very good Nations League, snuck into 7th place right at the end, and had some good wins against some good teams during the tournament. I guess the only question I have for Argentina is if Bruno Lima is the answer at opposite, because for the last few years, the opposite position has been a bit open for Argentina. They haven't had that guy who can just carry an offense and, you know, hit 40, 50 balls per game. Bruno Lima, he's good. You know, he's good. He's a young guy, fairly impressive for his age. But the question is, is he that guy who can have that high usage rate, hit a lot of balls in each match? I'm not sure if that's his exact skill set. So I guess the question is whether Facundo Conte plays opposite in their Olympic qualification tournament. Or is Bruno Lima enough for them to take down Canada, China, and Finland? So that's the end of my recap for the Volleyball Nations League preliminary round. Enjoyable watch overall. Say goodbye to the bottom nine teams. All that's remaining are the top six. Excited to see how it plays out in Chicago. The next podcast, and probably the one after that too, will be a preview of the final six. So don't worry, I'll get to it. But for now... Hope you enjoyed the podcast and have a nice week.